Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. It's good to see you this morning on this beautiful rainy Sunday in North Texas. Praise God for the rain. Amen. Amen. And let there be more to come, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Praise God. We're so happy that you're here today, and thank you for your prayers for us this week. We were away in Louisiana all week with my, our families, and we do appreciate so much your, your prayers for them. And, and for us, we came home last night, and just good to, good to be with, uh, I mentioned to the 830 service, you know, we all have family that we love, and that means so much to us, but then your church family kind of supersedes that in some ways. And, and uh, I tell you what, it's just nothing like coming home to a family that you know that, that you love and you know that love you and love each other and love the presence of the Lord. And, and I'm just happy to be here today uh, with you. Amen. Uh, we're honored to have Kathy Wilson with us today for the first time. And let's make her welcome today. She lives in our community, and uh, we're just delighted that she's come. She was in our 830 service as well, and we're just so happy that she's here today. We are studying right now the book of Revelation, and we are starting uh, on uh, chapter 2 today. And uh, it's an important chapter, and actually uh, it is the Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 are those two the, the first three chapters are introductory in the fact that we get a lot of details that will be very important as you move forward into uh, the remaining part uh, of the book of Revelation. Uh, we closed out with the revelation of Christ and the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 1. And he identifies the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks they, that you saw are the seven churches. We'll have more to say about that as we go through the lesson here this morning. Uh, I think one of the things that's so significant about this chapter and chapter 3 as well uh, the book of Revelation is, is being written by uh, John, the Revelator, uh, the beloved disciple of Christ. Uh, he would be the only of the 12 disciples that were not martyred. He would be the only one that died a natural death uh, somewhere uh, around 100 A.D. in, in Ephesus. Uh, it is also significant because it's been... The church has been in existence now for about 65 years, 63, 64, 65 years. It's been 65 years since Christ ascended, sent back the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The church began to grow and to establish itself uh, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Christ is going to appear to John, and he is going to speak directly concerning the condition of the body of Christ 63 years after it began. So when you read these verses that we're going to be reading today and next Sunday, you're going to understand the significance of how uh, much the church had progressed in a good way 
and how much the church had degressed in a bad way. And Christ will talk about these things. But I think it's, it's important because this will be a... This will be the last written word from heaven. There will be, be spoken word, the anointed word. Uh, we'll, we'll hear sermons. Uh, there will be prophetic words and encouragement. But the last words that are written from heaven are written to us in this book. This is the last book to be written in the Bible and it is the word of the Lord directly, first of all, to the churches that were in existence at that time, as well as to all churches. And we'll show you how that is uh, connected. So let's get started. All right. There, the letters to the seven churches share a similar structure. And I'm going to give you that structure so you will be able to identify that as, as we go through the different churches. Number one. Each church is addressed by a particular congregational name to the church at Ephesus or to the church at Smyrna. Each church is given an introduction of Jesus. Each church is given a statement regarding the condition of the church. And each church is given a verdict from the Lord regarding the condition of that church. And this church, every church gets a commandment from Jesus to the church, a general exhortation to all Christians, and a promise of reward. So let's get started. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The first church that Christ will address is the church at Ephesus in the city of Ephesus and this angel to the church is we believe is the messenger to the church could be the pastors uh, the bishop of the churches it also indicates perhaps angelic presence uh, around these churches certainly we know that the Bible says the angels are sent forth to minister to those who are called uh, according to the word of the Lord uh, but, but let's look at this incredible word. Ephesus was a famous city in ancient Greece and uh, had an equally famous church. Uh, Ephesus was a city where Paul ministered for three years in Acts chapter 19, 1, Acts 10, and Acts 20, 31. It's also the city uh, of Aquila and Priscilla. It's the city of Apollos, the great the great pastor Apollos, the great preacher. It was also where Paul's close young friend and son in the gospel, Timothy, preached many, many times according to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Uh, of course, the apostle John ministered there prior to this revelation, and then we know later that he pastored uh, this church uh, before his death. So it is now located... Uh, it was located in ancient Greece at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. It is now located in the country of Turkey. Uh, if you ever get to do the a trip, uh, to, you can still go and visit all the seven church ages or seven ancient cities of the church ages. Uh, Sister Davis and I have got to be in three of those. 
But uh, we, we did get to go to Ephesus. It is one of Ephesus, of course. The ruins of Ephesus are second to none. Uh, if you think that the, the ruins of the Parthenon in Greece are maybe a lot of the ruins in Israel uh, are amazing, you need to see Ephesus. It is an amazing place. We got to walk down the ancient streets of Ephesus, the synagogue, the church that John pastored, the foundation of that church has been recovered. We stood in what would be normally a pulpit area, uh, and I read from the book of Revelation, standing in that old ancient ruin. It's an incredible city uh, that's in Turkey today. Uh, incredible, incredible church that had an, an incredible ministry. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. All right? Tells us that, that, that Christ holds the church. In his hand. He said the seven stars are the seven churches. So he starts out by telling us that, that Jesus holds the church in his hand. I think that's important as we go forward because we're living in perilous times. We know that. Uh, there are perilous times that will come in the last days. We understand that in the midst of revival there, there, are, there will be shaking. There will be falling aways. There will be issues to deal with. Uh, as, a, as a world and as a nation. And the body of Christ needs to be faithful to hold on to the word of God. And faithful to Christ in these days. But the Bible says that Christ holds the church in his right hand. The church is in, listen, with our ups and our downs. And sometimes we don't always do it right or say it right. But Christ still holds us. He's not going to throw us away. He holds us. He holds us. In his right hand. Praise God. And he says that to, this, to the wonderful church in, in the book here in, in the city of Ephesus. He holds them. All right. In verse 3, we'll pick up in verse 3. I know thy works. I want to stop right there. The knowledge of Christ concerning, and I just think this is, this is really encouraging to me. It's also a little unsettling as well. Because Christ knows the works of the church. He said, I know your works. That's encouraging because he knows what you're doing for the kingdom. And everything you do for the kingdom, is nothing is overlooked. Nothing is, is missed. Christ will reward you. He said, if you just give a cup of cold water in my name, I'll bless you for that. Christ knows the workings of the church. Christ knows what's going on in the church. And in doing so, Christ knows what's going on in me. Christ knows what's going on in each of us. And one of the truths that we're going to learn from these lessons to the seven churches is that God is intimately aware. You say, well, I wonder if God even knows what's going on down here. He said, I know your works. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know how you, you can't not bear with them which are evil. I know how you tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. He said, I know how much you have contributed to the work of God and to the body of Christ. And you have borne and have had patience and for my name's sake has labored and hath not fainted. Amazing, amazing church. Here's a church that, that, that meets all, almost all of the criteria that Christ had laid down in the Gospels for a church. 
Here's a, here's a church that, that meets all the criteria that the Apostle Paul has laid down uh, for a church in the epistles, uh, the general epistles. Amen. He said, I know your labors. I know, I know how patient you've been. I know you have been hurt by people who have come through and, and, and professing themselves to be apostles or professing themselves to be, to be preachers and teachers that were false teachers. And, and yet you recognize that and you rejected that and you've held on to me and you've been patient. And, 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 and I want to compliment you on this, this church. And so this is an amazing word because we are hearing Christ address his church 65 years or 63 years after its, its beginning. I know all of these things, he said. I know how you've been faithful. I know how you've been patient. And you have borne up and you have not fainted. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now, and we'll talk about that in a second. The Lord wants you to understand that he's not only aware of our strong points, He's not only aware of the good things that churches do, but he's also aware of issues that, that we may have or the lack that there are that we may have. And so as much as the Lord uh, compliments the, the, the church at Ephesus, probably this church will, will be, when you go through the other church, you're going to see this church had an incredible criteria, had an incredible commendation from the Lord. But he said, but because I know all of your works, I know that I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So now he, he says to this church, you've been patient, you've been, you've been strong, you've been faithful, you've held on to my word, you've held on to my name, but, but you've left your first love. Now, he didn't say you lost it. There's a difference in losing something. If you lose something, you don't know where to find it. But if you leave something, you know where you left it. He said, if you leave something, you know where you left it. And the word here in the Greek doesn't indicate that they lost their first love. It just indicates that they left it somewhere. And so he, as a matter of fact, he's going to tell them to go back and pick it up because he knows they that they know where they left it. Amen. And so the first love, how, he said, I need for you to do that. As a matter of fact, he said, I want you to do that. Uh, remember, therefore, from whence thou hast fallen, and repent, and do thy first work. And evidently, the first works that, that he's talking about is, is, has to do with those passionate, intimate, connections that we had with him uh, in our conversion. It, it's the passion for the lost. It's the passion to love each other as Christ did. It's the passion for, for loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's the passion for forgiving and loving and being kind and loving to, to people that you may not even agree with, but it's, it's to be able to love and to appreciate. He said, you've left that behind. Now, they didn't leave their ministry behind. They kept on... This is so significant because they, were, they kept on operating their church. They kept on doing these good things that the Lord compliments them for. But he said the part that's, and, and this is, I think, I think Charles Spurgeon, the great, the great pastor, I have a, I have a pretty amazing, uh, have a pretty amazing 
quote by him, if I can find it here, uh, who said that if we take love out of the church, if you take love out of the church, you cease to be a church. If everything, everything we do is not done in love, then it's, 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 Paul would say it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals if you take love out of it. And so Christ, as much as he loved the church at Ephesus, and as much as he complimented the church at Ephesus, he was so concerned that they not lose their first love. And that is the love for God. You remember when you first came to the Lord, you loved the Lord, you loved people. You couldn't see anybody's faults. You couldn't, you, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You couldn't, you couldn't, nobody had any faults. Everybody was just perfect in the spirit. And then, you know, we grew older and got more mature, as they say. And all of a sudden, we let love go a little bit. And all of a sudden, people's faults start popping up. And, and, uh, and, it, and it was a, a bad situation. So he, so he talks about that, and he said, I want you to, I want you to, uh, I want you to go back to your, and I want you to repent, and I want you to go back, and I want you to re- return to your first, your first love. Amen. And that's very, very important, all right? Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon said this, A church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her heart. When that love grows cold, love, lose love, lose all. Lose love lose all so what did they leave it at um you know this this is the church that the apostle paul had really really uh had had pastored and preached for for three years at and he if you go back and read uh, the book of acts uh and and especially the book of of ephesians you'll find he makes an appeal he said look he pleads with the people he said when i die there's going to be false teachers coming that's going to try to turn you away from the Word of God and from the simplicity of the gospel. And you're going to find out later that, that he had another problem with two other churches over legalism. We're going to talk about how, how Christ addresses that subject because of the Judaizers and those who said that, that if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to keep the law and you've got to, you've got to keep the ceremonial law and and you've got to do all these things in the flesh that have nothing to do with salvation. And so that had popped up. If you think, we're, if we think that's something that's new, that popped up when Christ appears here uh, in, in the book of Revelation. That had already popped up really big, and he has to address it to two different churches that had become so uh, fanatical about, about putting bondages on people and he had to come back and say, we've got to take that off of them, and you've got to go back to preaching Jesus and the cross and, 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 and that. And so he said, it's important, it's important that you have patience. It's important that you do all these things, but it's, but it's also important that you go back and find your first love. So, you, so here, how do you find your first love? You, you start doing your first works. What, are we, what was your first works? Well, prayer and worship and praise and witnessing and just loving people. That's your, that was our first works. Before we were, quote, teachers and singers and leaders and important people. We were soul winners and lovers of the gospel and lovers of people. And 
prayers and worshipers and We'd worship God no matter what happened. We'd pray no matter what was going on. We'd help on to God in the worst of time. We wouldn't let anything stop us. Amen. And so Jesus just says to the first church at Ephesus, I want you to go back. You're doing all these other things. I give you a hundred on. But your love life is suffering, and I want you to go back and start doing your first works. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. And so apparently, apparently, Ephesus took the advice of the Lord because one of the early church fathers who, who was a convert of the first church, Ignatius, uh, wrote in his book, uh, in the uh, Church Fathers, Nicene Fathers, Volume 1, page 52, he wrote in his, his diary, he praised the church at Ephesus. He said to the, to the Ephesians, you who are the most holy church of the Ephesians, which is so famous and celebrated throughout the world, you being full of the Holy Spirit, and do nothing according to the flesh, but all things according to the Spirit, you, Ephesus, are complete in Christ Jesus. And this will be written uh, another 50 years after Christ's appearance. So evidently, uh, the church at Ephesus took, they heard the words of the Lord, and they took that for granted, uh, uh, took that into work, and now years later, Years later, this church is a powerful church and still spreading the work of God and the Word of God around the world. Can you say amen? All right. And then he said, then he said, uh, after, he's, after he's correcting, he said, but, but I'm going to give you this, verse 6, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you this, thou hast, but this thou hast done, that thou hatest, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, that's strong language from a Savior who is a Savior of love. And yet he said, there is, a, there is a spirit that's trying to infect my church that I hate. And he said, that spirit is a spirit that is propagated by a group that he refers to as the Nicolaitans. Could have been, could have been, some theologians believe, one of the uh, original deacons appointed by uh, the apostles. Uh, could have been that was for sure a group of people that tried to divide the church into a hierarchy. And tried to, to and, that's, and we still see that in, as a matter of fact, the Roman Catholic Church fell into part of that and took away the Bibles uh, at one time and only the priest or the Pope uh, could have the Bible or could supposedly understand spiritual things and the laity could not have it, were not, were not allowed to have it. Uh, and this, this, and ever, uh, you had the hierarchy up here and then the, the, the laity down here. And so they were dealing with that uh, in, in, in the book of Revelation. The third thing that we do know about the Nicolaitans, they were legalistic. And they did everything they could do to attach your salvation to physical things. Circumcision or, or hair or clothes or dress or whatever uh, that would, would be attached to the blood of Jesus. And so the reason that Jesus hated, he said, I hate that because I paid, personally paid, the price for your salvation. 
these men trying to put you through these hoops out here, jump through this one, jump through that one, jump through that one. If you jump through this one, you can go to heaven. If you don't jump through that one, you can't go. He said, I hate that. I hate that. And he said, I, I want to tell you, come back to me. Come back to the cross. Come back to the finished work of Calvary. I am the one. I, did, I jumped through the hoop for you. You don't have to jump. I, I'm the one that did that. I'm the one that suffered. I did all that has to be done. I'm the one that did that. And he said, I hate the Nicolaitans. And he said, I'm so happy to know that you hated them too. What, and and how is he making the point? He said, he said, you have stood up against that doctrine that's tried to, to, to annihilate the work of the blood of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in one of these other churches because it pops up in another church uh, as well. All right. Now, here's where we get something very important in this next verse. The seven churches addressed by Jesus in the book of Revelation were seven churches in ancient Asia. They existed at the time that John is getting this revelation. All seven of these churches are in existence at this time. Also, these churches, it is believed from the words of Christ going forward and from, the, from history, just now you wouldn't have known that then, but now looking back from the 21st century back to the cross, and you see all of the, the times that the church has gone through and the seasons they've gone through and the things they've gone through, we now understand that these also implicated what we would call church ages. And we're going to talk about next Sunday. I'm going to bring on the screen, the big screen. I'm going to show you the church ages and the years that, we have, that have been ascribed to each of the church ages, ending up with the last church age, which is Laodicea, which, by the way, is the only one of these churches that he, God could not find anything good to say about. All the other churches, he compliments, and we'll get to that, and then he gives them their problem that he wants them to deal with. But the, but the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, he couldn't find one good thing to say about the Laodicean church. That is the, the lukewarm church of the last day. Do you know why it is so difficult to fight for godliness and hold on to to truth and hold on to Jesus and, and, and to pray and seek God and stay, and stay uh, focused and not be divided over stuff and things. That you, not, you know why that's such a battle? Because we right now, the body of Christ on the earth right now, which is, by the way, the Philadelphian church, and I'll prove that to you, but we are living in the Laodicean hour. This is a, you talk about what's going on in Washington you talk about what's going on in the world scene. You talk about what's going on in the, in the church world. I'm telling you, it's hard to stand up. It's hard not to give in to, 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 to this uh, user-friendly. Everybody's going to heaven. Nobody's got any sin. Uh, God's going to save everybody. Nobody's, nobody. It's easy to buy into this and, and give in because this spirit of the age it's so strong. It's so prevalent. You, it's, you hear it. And unfortunately, we, it's, in, it's, it's infected churches, even good churches. That we have to, and it's like, almost like we're fighting for our life and we're fighting for our spiritual and Holy Ghost existence. 
amen, against this onslaught because Christ could not find one good thing to say about the church of the Laodicea, not one. We'll get to that. I'm a little bit ahead of myself here. All right. Now Christ says this. So that you know today that he's not just talking to people who lived 2,000 years ago. He's talking to us. Here's what he says. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So, do you have an ear today? We have an ear, don't we? So this was, this was given not just to people then, it's given to people now. The same words. Now, why would Christ do this? I, I'm going to tell you why. As I said earlier, this is the last written word we get from heaven. Book of Revelation. It's the last things that Christ will ordain a man on this earth to write down and say it's from him. After that, no more. We'll get, we'll get revelation word. We'll get prophetic word. We'll hear preaching and sermons and Bible studies. But there'll be no more written word from heaven. Those words are forever settled in heaven and no man can change it. You can try if you want to, but you can't change it. Rip it out, the, rip it out of your Bible if you want to. It's still settled. Uh, take it out of the song book. It's still settled. Amen. There, and when you get before the throne of God, amen, you'll be judged by the book, which is the word of God. Amen. No matter whether you believed in it or not. Can you say amen? amen. So he said, if you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. And then he said, to him that overcometh. Now he's talking to all of us. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Hallelujah. God put the tree of life in the earth, in the Garden of Eden. You remember that story. Man chose, Adam and Eve chose to eat of the knowledge of tree, the life of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. The tree of life was protected by angelic force until God translated it off of this earth back into the heavens. But we find out in the book of Revelation that there will be a place where you'll see it and eat of it still. And he reminds us of this promise that what Adam didn't, get to, didn't eat of, we are going to eat of. Praise God. It's an incredible, incredible words. All right. He that hath an ear to hear. Praise God. Let him hear. Verse 8. We'll get started on this and we'll finish this one next, next week. Verse 8. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Uh, well, I've got to talk a little bit about that a little bit. Smyrna, beautiful, large, uh, cultural center of ancient Greece. It was called the glory of Asia in its day. A rich city, a great trade city. It stood at the end of a road which served the valley of the river Hermas. 
And all the trade of that valley flowed into its markets and through its harbor. And it was a city of wealth and commercial greatness. Uh, It was also a city that was deeply committed to idolatry and the worship of Roman emperors. Uh, They had many temples that stood in the city of Smyrna uh, to false gods, uh, even to Zeus, uh, Aphrodite, Apollo. Uh, the worship of pagan gods was dying out, and the real worship of emperors were beginning. So in, in 196 B.C., Smyrna built the first temple to Dia Roma, the goddess of Rome, and it was worshipped by these people. And then in 23 A.D., Smyrna won the privilege over 11 other cities to build the first temple to worship the emperor Tiberius Caesar. And Smyrna, and the reason I'm talking about it, Smyrna becomes the chief city in all of the world at that time in idolatrous worship. And yet, in that city, there's a church called Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, during, during the reign of Emperor Domitian from 81 to 96 A.D., this emperor passed a rule, a law, that everyone was to call him Lord, and he was to be worshipped, uh, emperor worship, uh, and which would set up the horrible persecution of the church that the church went through. And uh, when you, if you ever go to Rome, uh, the old ancient Colosseum is still there. We've been there twice. If you've ever been there and you know the stories of how Christians were fed to the lions there for their faith and tortured. And uh, all of this was because that they would not bow down and accept uh, the emperor as, as Lord. And uh, let's, let's look at that just a little bit. Uh, so, you find, so you'll see that Caesar, by, by, by 96 A.D., Caesar worship in the Roman Empire became compulsory. Compulsory. Once a year, the Roman citizen must burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the Godhead of Caesar. And having done so, he was given a certificate to guarantee that he had performed his religious duty. And all a Christian had to do in that day was just burn the incense, sign the ticket, and go back home for another year. But the true Christians wouldn't do it. The The true Christians would not worship would not offer incense to the emperor. Therefore, the church at Smyrna becomes the persecuted church, more persecuted than any other church uh, on, uh, in all the church ages. And yet Christ comes to, him, to them and says, here's his introduction, I am the first and I am the last. I am he who was dead and now alive forevermore. Amen. And he gives them this hope. Amen, of eternal life. And, and, and he talks about his ultimate victory uh, of resurrection. Let's look at verse 9. Now he said, I, I, know, I know thy works and the tribulation that you've gone through and your poverty, but thou art rich. I'm going to stop right there. Um, I, I don't want to get off on too, too big a rabbit trail, but you, you notice the the uh, 
the Antichrist movement that's, that's, that's working uh, alive and well in, in this country and in, in the world, and especially now uh, among the gay rights movement, where, where quickly you're finding that you can't have an opinion at all negative to that viewpoint and, and work in certain places. Uh, the most, just, just this week, uh, the, the CEO of uh, Mozilla, I believe it was, uh, a wonderful godly man who was appointed to, to be the CEO of, of this big computer company, uh, the gay movement found out that, that a few years ago he had, he had donated $1,000 in favor of Proposition 8 in California supporting marriage between a man and woman. There was such an outcry. That happens several years ago, such an outcry that he did that, that he was forced to resign his job this week. Well, now that's happening in not just in top echelons. Uh, I know two people in our family, in our family, that because of a stand they took on their job, just an opinion, just an opinion. They were talking around the water cooler, and the opinion came up about marriage. And, and uh, one of my cousins said, well, I'll leave a marriage just biblically between a man and a woman. Cost of her job. Cost of her job. I'm just telling you that there is a, we're, we're, we need to pray right now. There's an incredible open door in the body of Christ in the marketplace but there's also a rising up of the enemy. And you're going to see a type of that right here in Smyrna. Smyrna was one of the, most, the wealthiest cities in all the world at that time. People made extreme amount of money, and yet the Bible says the Christians in Smyrna were in poverty. They were poor. Not, the word was not poverty, but they were poor. They were poor. And they were poor because when they refused who burned the incense to the Roman emperor, they, they got fired or they, they lost their jobs. They didn't have the opportunity to, to, to earn money like other people did. And so the entire church at Smyrna lived uh, in uh, quite a poverty life. Faithful to God, faithful in tribulation, faithful to, to the word of the Lord. And yet when the Lord looks at them, he says they were rich. He called them rich. Now, contrast that, and I'm jumping ahead again. Contrast that with, with when we get to the, to the church of Laodicea, when the, Leo, the church of Laodicea is the only church that Christ couldn't say anything good about, not one thing. Contrast it with this. Here's what the church, when he talked to them, here's what they said to him. Oh, we're rich. We're, we're, we're rich and we're increased with goods and we have plenty. He said, I tell you, you're poor and you're blind and you have need of having your eyes healed so you can see. I'd rather, listen, I'd rather be poor here and rich in Christ. Hallelujah. And then there be richer. For eternity. I'm going to tell you something. Be faithful to your job. Work 100%. Give your employer 100%. Amen. And, and, and trust the Lord in these trying days because there are trying days. And this church at Smyrna is the church that many, many, many of them 
And, I, and I'm not going to get a chance to finish that today, but I'm going to show you something. Let me, let me go and read this to you, then, and we'll explain this next week. He said, he said I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, that, but, but I know you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews but are the synagogue of Satan. I've got to talk to you about the synagogue of, of Satan. It's important. Fear none of these things which, that, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thy faithful unto death, and, and you will receive a crown of life. And I want to I show you something very powerful in here, that even when the enemy is trying to come against you, God always sets a limitation on him. He says, some of you are going to go through, so not all of you, but some of you are, but it's only going to be for ten days. I'm not going to let him just keep on and on and on. There's a cutoff. There's a limitation of what the enemy is going to be able to. So be encouraged, he said. Fight the good fight of faith. Amen. You may have to go through some things, but it's, going to, um, it's a temporary, limited thing that the enemy can do. Can you say amen to that today? Amen. Praise God. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you as we move further into this book that you have given to us, that, the, that you would give us understanding and knowledge of, of the word of the Lord of the times and the seasons that we live in, of your the hope that we have of your glorious coming, the return of Jesus Christ, and the catching away of the, of the bride of Christ, and the great hope even that, that, that we have in, in what you will do in, in these chapters uh, that concern the nations of the world. And God, that you will transfer the kingdom, your kingdom, which right now is not all this world, but it shall become all the kingdoms of the world shall become your kingdoms. And we praise you for that right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you.